Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Conspiranormal Podcast proudly presents... The Strange Realities Conference. Strange Realities. Come join us for one day of presentations on the paranormal with live music at night featuring Tim Banal. The Rise and Fall of the Flat Earth Theory. Joshua Kutchin. Alien Hybrid Lore. Joe Damari. Pushing the Limits of Reality. Guy Malone. Roswell 1947. What Really Happened. Timothy Renner. Pennsylvania Wildman. And added to the lineup, Mark Anthony Wyatt. Cornish Legends and UFO Sightings. Zach Hunt. A presentation of his book on Rapture. Followed by a live recording of the Conspiranormal Podcast. More speakers and music acts to be announced. October 19, 2019, SIR Nashville. Tickets and info at www.strangerealitiesconference.com. $40 at the door, $30 pre-sale. Alright, before we get started, yeah. before we get started, we'd just like to say that we do speak about some very adult subjects in this following podcast, as we have very uh, graphic details of the processes involved in sexual magic, both on this plane and others. Yeah, so if you have children in the room, please send them away or play this podcast some other time. Otherwise, they're going to be asking you a lot of questions that you may not want to feel just just now in their development. Questions that most parents never have to answer. <laughs> yeah. You, so, prepare yourself, guys. We're going to be... We'll come back with Stephanie Quick on Sex Magic. This is Conspiranormal, where the nexus of conspiracy theory and the paranormal meet. We join the show already in progress with your hosts, Adam and Seraphiel. It's been a lot of sex magic lately. (laughs) What have you been up to? (laughs) 
Well, see, so I li- I listened to your thing with with Rogan. I listened to I listened to the rewatch the rebuttal video that you did. Um, <laughs> and let's see, I read to a couple of your couple of your blog posts, and then we kind of uh-huh. had that little discussion earlier in the week about some things that you wanted to talk about. So we'll 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 get to all that. Um, yeah. Whatever you want to, you know, talk about. I mean, it's a big topic, and I've been pretty interested in it for for about a quarter of a century. Mm-hmm. So wherever you want to go, but uh, I mean, it's interesting. So okay, hopefully, yeah, yeah. Um. First of all, I got to say, I don't know if we're recording, but I wanted to say it to you guys. I I was really um I made that uh, video in a spirit of fun. Oh, and, I know. Uh, we, you definitely yeah, and I was really happy. You guys are so good natured about it. It was really charming. I really appreciate it. So thank oh, you. Yeah. It was really sweet. We like yeah. the interaction. Um, you know, yeah. we, yeah. we well, wish more that's people. That's what I hear that. from people. Yeah. So so it's far nice. so far you're the only person that's done that, and we we actually appreciated <laughs> that. That was awesome. <laughs> well, it was fun, and now we get to uh, speak further. So even more fun. Yeah. Absolutely. So if you are ready to get started, we are as well. Okay, cool. Okay. All right. We are back on Conspiranormal. With more sexual magic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So so apparently I'm laughing already. Um, So back in... I can't remember what the episode number was. 273, I think, was the one we had with um, Ren on OTO. Yeah, yeah. I think. And so we did that episode with him. And we had a first that has never happened to us before, where we actually got a rebuttal video from that. And the rebuttal was from a lady named Stephanie Quick. And when I watched the video i immediately reached out and asked her to come on the show so welcome stephanie welcome to conspiracy normal hi you guys i well i was uh, as i was just saying i really appreciated that uh, both of you and ren as well were all very uh, sweet and good-natured and uh you know of course i made that video but just you know in a spirit of fun and also yeah. because there's a lot of uh, weird stuff about sex and the paranormal and magic that doesn't get talked about as much um so yeah, it's really exciting to be here. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's let's go into a little bit of what you talked about in this rebuttal video. Um, what was it that you were kind of addressing? Something that you were addressing, I think, something that Ren said, and a couple of other things. What was the main thing yeah. that you that you wanted to address from that? Well, um, as I was uh, telling you just now, I've been uh, very interested in the paranormal side of sex, um, sex magic, uh, like ghost sex, uh, sex with disincarnate beings, whether they're human or uh, ghosts or um, some type of other than human entity. And I definitely want to get to that. Yeah. So um, one of the things that distinguishes kind of that also I'm interested in uh, unwanted sexual attention on the psychic planes um, that people experience and how that Mm -hmm. happens and how people can help to tamp it down. So part of that is very much at odds with the way that a lot of people these days uh, in the overall magical community and occult community look at sex magic because it tends to be very 
thing of, and this is true as well, that uh, you can build energy through various means and throw that at your magical project. You can be dancing or um, Gardnerian bondage and a little bit spanking, uh, you know, chanting, singing, meditation, sex works as well for this. You kind of build that up uh, alone or in a group, and then together you kind of throw it at this thing that you want to charge up. There's uh, when you get into chaos magic, they get more into the whole idea that um, that uh, orgasm opens a door to the other side, and that um, you can kind of use that as to get an extra any energy boost that you can kind of throw at your magical project. Um, and I call that like sex, the sex desire aspect of sex. You're kind of transmuting or channeling this uh, desire that we all have for sex, the sexual, pure sexual energy, and just rawly throwing it at your project. Um, but other dimensions, for example, it was kind of funny because, as I said, uh, Ren, I believe, is an initiate of the OTO. I'm not. Um, sure. And so... Basically, you know, you can speak a lot more freely about these things and people have told you things like after they've left or something. <laughs> and, uh, of course, the higher magic of the OTO does go back to things, for example, like Pascal Beverly Randolph was talking about uh, Taoist sexual alchemy, um, uh, other like the unfortunate uh, Western esotericism. And the idea is that there's a sex function. Now, physically, the sex function is when the ovum uh, receives a sperm and it creates a new being. So you have this exchange in polarity. You can't have two sperms, you can't have two ovum and get a baby. You have to have these two uh, opposite, that are opposite, but they also have to have enough similarity, right? You can't have a dolphin and a, a narwhal have a baby because they're too dissimilar. Sure. So you have to have this working in polarity to create something new. Now, it works with the sperm and the ovum. And, for example, um, a lot of people understand it on the creative uh, level or the intellectual level. Um, for example, many, I have friends with various podcasters and they always talk about exactly what you said. It's wonderful to have feedback, to have this presence of the other who is listening to you and giving it back. I mean, you don't want someone who's just, oh God, I want to talk about sex. People talk, uh, talk about star fishing, like someone who's really unresponsive and not into it, or even just like, just not just kind of like very neutral is like the worst. Someone who's not into it, at least it makes it kind of exciting somehow for some people, although you should never go there. Um, but to have that response to come back to you so that you could have um, like a creative uh, you know, project that you're working on together or when you're making uh, some type of a podcast or you're writing that you can have a, 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 your audience in mind. And even better, if they respond, Back to you. Um, I have a friend. I like to talk about this in the realm of art. I have a friend, uh, Sean, and I just posted a ghost story that I had from him on my blog. He's an artist, and we met together in art school uh, over 30 years ago. And um, so we always have this back and forth about his art. He'll send me, you know, he likes to do collage and painting on old library books and stuff. So he'll send me these books and I'll look at them and we'll talk about it and everything. And then, I mean, it's really wonderful just from my own selfish, greedy perspective that, um, you know, it's wonderful to see how our conversation has informed what he produces. So it's different than if you're just working by your own. And so that whole idea of the sex function Mm -hmm. and how it can, um, 
happen on multiple planes and how it is dependent upon this response and exchange between the two uh, polarities is what I wanted to try to get across in um, many of my articles and also in that rebuttal. And then a little bit more information on some of the background and, and how this plays out in other areas besides people just like actually physically having sex. Sure. And, and a lot of that was in contrast to the more masturbatory um, chaos magic, just simply uh, sigil working, right? Yeah. Yes. And I, I mean, there's a lot of good reasons to masturbate, actually, if you're interested in pursuing sex from a esoteric angle. Because first of all, you need to know, um, you know, your own self, um, you know, in terms of meditation, energy work. And if you're going to be working sexually, you need to realize your own sexual responses, what you're comfortable with and not. So I, I didn't mean to be so down on wankers. And <laughs> yeah, no. Well, let's, that's a good place to start as far as uh, that. That's, I guess that's where it, it usually all starts for every, for most people um, is, is with masturbation. So what, what is, what are kind of the esoteric elements of masturbation, the in, importance of masturbation in your sexual magic work? Well, here's the thing. There's a ton of theories out there. And people have very strong viewpoints one way or the other um, throughout time and then in various traditions. So um, I would say that from my own personal perspective, I would say, especially if you're interested in at some point working with someone with other people, either, and this applies to like just pure esoteric or occult workings or, uh, you know, sex magic workings that you need to know yourself and what is going to be, what is what you're going to be working with visualization if you're good at setting intention um, do you know how you personally uh, structure your protection however that is there's a billion different ways of doing it but you got to know what it is and mm -hmm. um, all those type of various things and so knowing your own sexual response is the easiest way to learn that especially I think for for women um, yeah. because you, you know especially in the past, but even today, there's just a lot of garbage about um, women and sexuality. We come from this culture, which is really has this whole Madonna horror complex and right. um, really objectifies people, but especially like young women. Um, there, you know, there's, in a lot of ways, there's a lot more openness than when I was growing up. It's a lot easier to find out about uh, things, even just like anatomy and the typical sexual response um but it's still you know a lot of this stuff is like in your head and, uh you know a lot of women it you know it takes them a while to um you know become comfortable with that response and having it in front of a partner or with a partner mm -hmm. so in mm -hmm. this kind of um situation especially for women if you're interested in pursuing that i would say exploring that on your own to begin with seems like a very sensible way and i i'm also uh, of course you want to work with other people in any way because you want to learn from them but it you know it's unfair to expect them to do everything you want to bring something to the right. relationship that's going to put you in a better position to learn and it's going to uh, make it less liable that you're going to be um, manipulated, abused, or, um, you know, feel uncomfortable. You know, you're going to have a more uh, uplifting experience and be able to learn from it and not feel like you're having to try and recuperate from some shitty thing. So, 
Well, and it is the most introductory and, uh, you know, I guess popularized type of uh, working because obviously you don't have to convince another person Mm -hmm. that uh, to do this sex magic (laughs) with you, which might present a problem for a lot of people's partners, right? (laughs) There's not much energy involved, I guess. I mean, it's hard to say because different people like different things and different people have, um, you know, some people are big old exhibitionists and are real forward about asking other people, look, I'd like to do exactly X, Y, Z with you at, you know, this particular time and place and other people are not that way. I, I mean, I don't know what to say, but I think that there's, I mean, I would say, um, that I think that, you know, for women, especially that, you know, practicing on your own to begin with could help you, uh, to get a lot more comfortable with yourself. You know, you're not just, well, I had a friend when I was in high school and he was gay and this was like uh, 1980 in San Francisco and he was hot stuff. And, uh, so he was out on the club clubbing scene all the time. And he was funny cause he'd say, well, and this was actually, this was before AIDS, but after herpes. So he was real careful you say, oh, I always masturbate before I go out with someone so I won't be like tempted to do anything out of sheer lust. <laughs> Which is actually yeah. another good reason because if, you know, uh, they talk about post nut clarity, right? But it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a good way to yeah. put it. Yeah. I've actually never, I've never heard it in those words exactly. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> it's, a, it's an ancient concept with modern terminology. But there is the idea that, you know, I mean, you, you're going to have this constant upwelling of sex saying that you need to get on your J-O-B because this is the only way I can make it work, right? I mean, sex is, is rampant. It is just incredible. Of course, you can see it operating, these kind of polarities, just dying to create something new, literally, constantly you know geological scale all over you know plants animals everything um so it's like you as this tiny little individual trying to cope with this whole huge it's like a tsunami of stuff just kind of coming through you and i think sometimes if you know you just kind of burn off some energy it can help you get ahead of it at least at least briefly (laughs) so yeah yeah but isn't that in um kind of opposition to some some tantric ideas about um delaying orgasm uh, even in extreme cases indefinitely like uh, sting shut up adam it's <laughs> an old joke man. come on no he said that yeah man. i know i know sting and sting and and uh tantric sex is, yeah okay everyone knows well okay so Um, there are a lot of theories that come, especially from the East. And I think a lot of them originate in Taoism, although don't quote me on that because I'm not an historian of any of this. However, there is a whole, um, theory about, uh, semen and its kind of magical rejuvenating properties as distinct from the uh, chi energy or subtle energy that comes along with semen. And so uh, I've just been reading this. It's a very interesting book called um, Taoist Secrets of Love, Cultivating Male Sexual Energy by a guy called Mantak Chia. He still uh, teaches. This book is from 1984. 
and his co-author is Michael Wynn. Okay. If anyone is interested in this, I really uh, recommend this book. He wrote one for women as well, um, because he really talks about the history. He talks about the uh, mystical experience of the Tao and the uh, subtle theory of the Tao and the particular exercises you can do as a man to um, the basic idea behind semen retention is that you're taking this uh, semen energy, you're drawing it back up into yourself and using it, you know, up through the spine and using it to rejuvenate, open basically like a kundalini experience. They They don't call it kundalini in the Tao, I don't believe. But you're opening that spine channel, bringing it up to the head where it can transform into this uh, even subtler uh, more uh, bountiful or uh, readily absorbed type of uh, refining energy that then flows down the front of your body. So he gives a lot of these ener- uh, exercises for uh, being able to perform this maneuver and how you can begin it um, as a man. Um, he's very good too because he's like, you know, it can take years to get the whole semen retention thing down, so don't worry about it. If you slip up, then... Well, you know, there's nothing really that wrong with it. <laughs> but the, it comes, it's also reflected in these like Victorian ideas about, you know, uh, you can't have nocturnal emissions because it's polluting and you need to re- hold on to your precious bodily fluids and all this type of yeah. stuff. So yeah. there's kind of mm-hmm. like the just hold, the people that are like just hold off, just don't ejaculate. It's a physical thing as opposed to these ones that are more subtle about the subtle recirculation of these energies and transformation. It's a for, it is a form of alchemy transformation in your own body um on a subtle level and then uh with a taoist he talks about a single cultivation which is when you perform this transformation within yourself and then uh, dual cultivation when you're working you can balance each other out right now the thing is that uh i guess there's kind of two ways that women can play it with this taoist sexual alchemy which is either you can hold off and try and play it that way, or there's a uh, theory that just basically a woman releases like a huge amount of yin at the moment of orgasm. So basically, you should just make women come absolutely as much as they want, as often as possible. (laughs) On the, uh, I don't want to say, because the idea is that she's putting out this huge yin, and then you're getting this all this yin that causes your excess yang to spill over and you balance each other out. Okay. Yeah. All right. You might want some Gatorade. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> might be a little spit after that. No, that's a lot of yin and yang going on. Just a bit. So the so the idea is to is to is create a balance, right? Exactly. That's and you're and that, consciously. So now we're we're getting into the the partner yeah. workings. Yeah. Right. Where you're exchanging these and, energies. Yes. Exactly. And so so for partners, um, the concept of of gender is very important though it may not you know though there there is there are all kinds of different sexualities that do these workings but even in that stuff the the concept of gender in an esoteric concept not necessarily a physical one is very important right mm-hmm. yeah i've heard um i i like Dion fortune a lot and she has a book called the esoteric philosophy of love and marriage and she talks about this it's a very small book, but she really gets into it. And it's it's kind of gender, but it's more like polarity and yin-yang. And the idea in Western esoteric thought as she presents it is that um, so physically, 
I would be yin, you guys are yang. Emotionally, it's the opposite. Intellectually, and then as she puts it, and you get this, when you get higher up and further away from the physical, it's easier for these things to just flip a lot as far as who's mm-hmm. acting which side of the polarity at, at whatever time. In, in my personal experience, I think as long as there is that um, difference, enough of a tense difference, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, I'm very yin, so basically everyone else is yang to me. <laughs> so it, you know, it really depends. And then you could end up having a, a different type of flow with a different person. So I would say um, polarity and function more than gender, because just for the simple fact that yeah. that gender tends to bring up a lot of ideas in people's minds that may not have anything to do with what we're trying. I'm trying to get at. I mean, they may, but they may not. Right. So. So so when did this really come? into the West as far as, as far as we know, I mean, there's a lot of undercurrents in mythology since before, uh, you know, before Christianity, of course, that then even continued after that. But, but the kind of the, the more recent Western esoteric tradition, uh, the exposure to these Eastern ideas of sex magic, was it really from the East and where that really take place? I, don't know. I have had some, uh, I want to thank uh, Alan Greenfield has uh, pointed me towards some resources that he had uh, done about uh, Pascal Beverly Randolph. Yeah, and yeah. Randolph traveled uh, extensively. He was a sailor. And um, he claims that it is, to me, it's a fascinating story because I think that this tra- these transmissions can come through people, but they can also come through experiences and discarnate right. entities. But he claimed that he uh, had sex as he he made a dusky maiden and she to him. And uh, he said that during that experience, he started to kind of grok this whole, I think partly she was teaching it, but partly he just started to grok this whole idea of sex magic and using um, orgasm and the the combined, you know, these uh, esoteric principles as a way to affect change in the world under your will, mm-hmm. under love, but then also as a form of mysticism. So right. I think that and this was, this was Syrians, weren't they? What he says? I, either that or Turkey. I think you might be right. I can't quite remember. Yeah. It's uh, I've been doing a lot of reading about, about PBR recently. And uh, he talks about this, this sect of, uh, I don't know how to exactly say it, but it's Nusairi, mm-hmm. but it's actually what we know as the Alawites now. Hmm. So those are actually, you know, the people who are affiliated with the Syrian regime now who are, wow. you know, who, who argue to the world that, you know, they face eminent genocide yeah i think their regime falls they're a shia sect i think aren't they well aren't it's they it's real us? mystical and there's you know there's all yeah, kinds of sufi mm-hmm. there's all kinds of mysticism and gnosticism that you right. know it's one of those sects that has a lot of like the Druze and other people mm-hmm. who have a lot of these traditions all come yeah. and uh, that area is full of them syria and lebanon yeah that part of the world but even if even if the story isn't necessarily true it's still interesting that he says he got it from this the syrian sect yeah. Yeah. So I don't really know. It, see, a lot, it seems a lot of the um, people that are, you know, followed on after that, it, seem, it seems like you can trace it back to him. 
Um, and, yeah, yeah. you know, he uh, left some manuscripts that you can still look at things out pretty explicitly and it is very much in line with for example what you have in, in the oto today um his book uh Ulyss, i think was the 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 main one about sexual magic and alchemy yeah and it's it's really cool that he's finally getting i think all the you know the attention he deserves for the uh the amount of influence he had plus there's a nashville connection yeah, yeah, he actually formed the Brotherhood of Eulis here in Nashville, but it was only for a few months because mm-hmm. I think he uh, didn't feel safe uh, because there's probably some kind of some kind of racist stuff. I'm sure. Yeah. 1870s in the South, I would, yeah. Reconstruction era. Oh, jeez, what a nightmare! But yeah, but he's also a hash importer, and yeah, real real influential. It was really interesting. I was thinking about that today because I saw you had posted something about him and uh, importing hash. And I have been reading Ida Craddock uh, a lot the last year, especially uh, Vera Chappelle's book on her uh, sexual outlaw, erotic mystic. And um, mm-hmm. she, well, so she was a big uh, writer, influential, influential on um, uh, the esoteric aspects of sex. She was a sex reformer, sex educator, um, she had a whole system of sexual mysticism that she taught to married couples. She ended up, uh, she was, she died in, I think, 1902 or 19, 1904. And she committed suicide because that Comstock of the Comstock laws had been hounding her for mailing educational pamphlets to people. And uh, she was going to have to be committed to the workhouse, which is like, you know, like a prison camp. So she ended up committing suicide. But, one of the things that got her interested in all this, she was a spiritualist and a, interested in theosophy, and she was very well connected with a, all type of uh, people in the era. She she read Pascal uh, Beverly Randolph herself, but um, she really got interested in this. Um, she, when she was 17, she had a boyfriend named Sof, and he asked her to uh, marry him, but she turned him down because she was really young. I think he was older anyway, not long after he died. Then when she was, I, I, forgive me, I can't remember. It was several years before she died. So she was in her 30s, I think. Um, she started developing her uh, mediumship capacity, studying spiritualism. And so she got in contact with Sof, and um, they uh, renewed their acquaintance, and he uh, courted her, and they married, and then they had a uh, very active sex life, Um and so she was married to a ghost. And then, uh, so that was one of the things that got her in hot water. She was talking uh, very knowledgeably and explicitly about things like, okay, this is how you should arouse a woman. And uh, these are, you know, if you're a woman, these are the type of public movements you should make that'll be nice for your husband and it'll be pleasurable for you too. And, you know, this is how you hold back from having an orgasm. Like all this, and people are like, "Okay, you're supposed to be a spinster living all by your lonesome. <laughs> How do you know any of this stuff?" So she claimed that she learned <laughs> that she learned it all from her ghost husband. Now he's got hundreds, hundreds of years of experience. Uh huh. <laughs> he's like the woman that was. Uh, well, 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 I want to get to this, but we'll get to this episode. But there was that woman recently in Britain. That said that she was having sex with a ghost pirate or something like that. Yeah, Sadly, they divorced. Yeah, and then they got divorced. Yeah. But anyway, the thing with, right. with Ida is that um, she was whip smart 
she kept extensive diaries. She did all this writing. And um, she wrote a book called Heavenly Bridegrooms, where she documents this whole um, uh, phenomena of uh, people having these relationships, uh, you know, sexual, romantic, marriage relationships with discarnate beings. And um, if anyone's interested at all in any of this stuff, it's like indispensable reading. She just has incredible examples. She talks a lot about the need for because you get a lot of people say, well, if you're really in contact with, uh, you know, your dead husband or whatever, how come you don't know uh, where he left that last pair of shoes with his credit card and what the credit card number was and the expiration date and exactly how his name was spelled and the three-digit verification? They want all this stuff. And she's saying, okay, it's like, like here on Skype, right? Not everything. We've already mm-hmm. had a couple of cutouts. There's some fuzziness. Yeah. There's that barrier to communication. And she talks a lot about the need for uh, mediums and psychics to become more adept at uh, discerning uh, subjective from objective and also the need for clear thinking. So you can think things out logically and go back to first principles and kind of ground yourself in that. So, um, but yeah, her uh, whole, I mean, it, I'm just so impressed with her as a woman and uh, intellectual and how honest she was about all this. Because on top, I mean, just having, okay, I have a ghost husband and he's taught me this whole uh, kind of uh, system of sexual mysticism is one thing. But on top of it all, okay, so usually, I guess manifestation, as she puts it, was kind of a problem Um so they had this other guy, Iaspi, who was a physician who would show up and kind of help with the whole thing, like kind of coach her on how to move and that type of stuff while she's <laughs> with her husband. So it's like a three-way. And then even... <laughs> this, was, this, was, this was a ghost that was... Ghost, and then I think another ghost. That... And Oh, okay. But... So her husband Saf, who actually, I just wanted to, I just, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I just wanted to make okay. that clear. I, time to, to, uh, yeah, to, 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 for that to sink in exactly, a little bit. Thank yeah. you. On top of which, her husband Saf, usually he would manifest like as just the penis. I mean, she would have like the the sensations of sexual excitement and the telepathic communication with him on a mental and emotional level going on. And then also uh, just the penis would manifest, which, I mean, when you're reading along, she's talking about, well, at that point, his manifestation, you know, was very good. And I could feel the texture and everything. And I'm just like, oh, uh, his manifestation. Yes. <laughs> well, she, I mean, he's just the penis. I yeah. Mean, she could objectively feel floating penis. penis. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, but the thing is, she'll, so did anyone ever else <laughs> witness this? I'm just trying to get my, my head around this a little bit. <laughs> there's conflicting there's conflicting reports yeah. about whether or not people would hear her. Um, okay. She wrote to various people about it, and she kept extensive diaries that are consistent. So, and, uh, so one of the reasons why I'm interested in this is because when I was uh, in my early 30s, and um, I had a near-death experience when I was about 21, and I was in contact with these uh, beings, um, and they gave me some teachings, like uh, 
energy practices, meditation techniques and stuff. So I was practicing those through my 20s. Then in my early 30s, I had a breakup and I had been going to this Tibetan Buddhist meditation center. And so I ended up moving in there and I was studying there and I uh, started dating this shaman uh, lady who would do sweats every sweat lodges every month and stuff and then met my teacher Leslie Temple Thurston and I would be sitting there once or twice a month with a few hundred people meditating all weekend that type of stuff so I was like really all of a sudden really developing my uh psychic or subtle abilities and awareness okay so you you were at some kind of like center or something yeah, yeah it's like a that you went to mm-hmm. yeah I was living there did it have a, a tradition that it was? Oh yeah, that it was behind it. Yeah, it's a Tibetan Buddhist uh, Sakyapa tradition. Okay. It was Awam uh, Choden in Kensington. Is uh, Lama Kunga Rinpoche was there? He was heading it up. Okay. I used to sleep under where the Dalai Lama sat when he came and visited the last time. <laughs> really? Yeah, I never met the Dalai Lama though. Um, but yeah, so it was yeah, it was full on. They'd have teachers come by and everything. It was pretty low key and small. Um, but it was still an center. So anyway, uh, around that time, I would have these experiences where I would like, like I'd be sound asleep and I would just wake up and I always like to sleep usually with like the windows open and stuff. So there's light so you can kind of see. So I would see that I was, there was no one there, but I would be, have this, this physical sensation of just being like touched all over sexually it was kind of like it would be at me, but it was like unconscious at the same time. So it was like this real strange experience. Anyway, so I uh, set my intention to find out what was going on. And as things developed in the world around me, I would. it seems to me that it would be people having an erotic dream about me. Luckily, it wouldn't last long. And then I'd be like, whatever, and go back to sleep. So the funny thing is that... I mean, it's like, I can't tell you, it's like, it would wait, I mean, it, it's happened to me many times, and it literally woke me up right out of a dead sleep, like, bam, straight away. And it's funny, because one of the reasons why I believe her is she talks about how his manifestation would be strongest when she was wide awake. So Yeah, this was the, um, this was the, this was the Buddhist monk. Okay. Uh, th- no, that, well, no, that wasn't him. This was another, these were other people that I don't want to name <laughs> Okay. All right. I do want to get to the part about the Buddhist monk, though, because I think that's important to explore. Yeah, he was actually a Rinpoche. So high, not just a monk, but high up. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you were talking about your, your friend and people having dreams about you. And... Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, so it's one of those things where as you are reading, and I would say this to anyone out there who has strange experiences of their own or is interested in knowing about these you're not always going to, I mean, this is like a really private experience. I mean, you'll say, well, most of the time or many times it's possible to live with a couple who have an active sex life. And for most of us, thank God, you never know anything about it. Right. Right. So if it's happening with a ghost or something, then it's going to be even less likely that there's going to be this type of evidence. As far as yeah, you know, they probably want to keep that to themselves. Yeah, although in this case she didn't, and she wrote about it extensively, which is great. But another way to interrogate that type of document or that type of set of experiences is to, if you are practicing yourself, 
you know, every once in a while you'll come across something that, ah, you know, that reflects something that I've found to be a similar experience. The other thing you can do is you can start to look at a bunch of different accounts that are kind of about the same and see what seems to keep popping up, what seems to be the consistencies. And if you have certain things that seem to be happening consistently, then to me that gives it overall a higher likelihood that it's something that people are actually experiencing. Now, in any particular instance, can you say yes or no? I don't know. But yeah, so that's why, you know, I tend to believe her. And she certainly had a lot of energy around that whole issue. And she she has like these wild examples. She has uh, examples that she had from her own time of people with these type of relationships. And then she has like strange historical stuff. Like there's this one uh, young woman who was uh, 12 years old and she started being courted by a gnome and they ended up being married and stayed together for all this time. She ended up becoming an abbess. This is like in the 12th century or something or 15th century. <laughs> gnome courtship. Oh, yeah. And uh, and everyone, when they found out, they were all scandalized and thought this has got to be terrible. But I guess she was a very holy woman and she had performed many miracles. So they were kind of like, well, I don't know. I mean, she's so saintly that they kind of had to say, well, I guess it's okay. Or, I mean, so she avoided being burned at the stake for being a, a child gnome bride. <laughs> wow. Let's... Um... I want to talk about something else, something else you talked about on the rebuttal, and this is another person that you mentioned that I think that um, I believe Wren was trying to think of the name, mm -hmm. but Alice Bunker Stockham. Yes. She, Let's talk a little bit about her. I don't know a whole lot about her. If people want to learn more about her and also um, just a lot of different types of stuff about sex magic generally, you can go to Lucky Mojo. Uh, Cat Ironwood has been a big... Uh, sex uh, magic practitioner for a number of years. And she is big on a Stockholm system of Carreza. I think it's Carreza, not Carreza. Carreza? Anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, this is an interesting thing. A lot of these older forms of sex magic are very concerned with revert, uh, reserving the semen for, I think, esoteric purposes, but also because um, as a way to control fertility. And... Um, you know, even in my lifetime where it was real easy to get birth control and, you know, abortion was still, well, at least still is kind of, kind of legal. Um, it was a lot more available and everything. It's still, it's, you're always thinking about this because even the best forms of birth control can, you know, all you need is that one <laughs> to get through. Mm -hmm. And, um, right. you know, pregnancy. Right. That's why they always say there's a 99% chance. Yeah. Except for that, yeah, that one. And if you're the 1%, it's a big deal. Thankfully, now they have, yeah. would, of course, encourage anyone to find out about fertility, uh, birth control, just sexual health generally, STIs and everything, because, you know, there's no sense in getting something you don't need. Um, and if you, you know, are interested in getting pregnant, that some people take sex magic in that direction. I mean, you want it to be... Uh, uh, nice, healthy uh, experience for you and the baby, too. Um, but anyway, so this was always a big concern. So they were especially concerned with the men holding off on orgasm as a way, I believe, to prevent pregnancy. Because um, a lot of these people are very uh, 
uh, interested in Christianity and very moral. And they were saying, look, you know, it's terrible to bring a soul into the world if you can't provide for it or it doesn't have a good circumstance. Um, but anyway, so she has another thing that I find is an interesting kind of intersection with a lot of the sex magic stuff is that you have these various uh, kind of subtle anatomies or geographies that intersect with the body that different uh, systems promote. Now, in some cases you have, uh, like in, for uh, instance in Carreza, you have this idea that if you just hold off on the orgasm, that this kind of energy will build up in a way that it kind of just, um, how do I want to say, it kind of drags the mind and emotions along with it upwards to the mystical. Okay. Um, as opposed to other systems, for example, uh, like the the kind of a yogic system of the Kundalini uh, coming up the Shishumna, the center core, you have the nadis around that, kind of twisting around it like a, a codex or the uh, doctors have it, Hermes has it, the stake with the two snakes. Um, Cadacious. Thank you so much. That one, yeah. So that would be kind of like your core, and then the nadis around it, and then you have the chakras blooming off of your core and um, taking that pure uh, core energy, uh, spiritual uh, energy of the void, and stepping it down to these various levels of reality. Um, something like Kariza, it's a much simpler model that just kind of posits that if you just uh, keep thing, things from kind of like uh, spurting out and going all over the place through the orgasm, if you conserve the energy and drive it back into your system that it kind of lights everything up and then you have this explosion into these mystical states. Um, so that's like one of the, uh, there's, there's overarching themes. Like one is uh, harnessing the power uh, of sex or orgasm or the tension to further some kind of magical goal. Mm -hmm. And then like what you're talking about is kind of this uh, consciousness raising, consciousness expanding, mm -hmm. getting altered states through sex magic. Yes. Mysticism or uh, alcohol mm -hmm. or generally how that is used. Yeah. And then you're talking about fertility. What, what's this idea of creating, is it creating a, a moon child? You know, the whole Jack Parsons mythos of, of the Babylon working, uh, what's what is that idea of creating a, a moon child or creating a what is it like a tulpa or, or what's a good way to think about it? I don't know. I don't under, I read that stuff and I, I don't get I can't understand it at all. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to put my my head around it, too. Yeah, well, you did. You did mention at one point in that in that video about um, contacting egregores or egregores through through sex magic or like deity contact. Yeah, I mean, basically, once you are headed for this big, expanded, altered state of consciousness, um, it's kind of like a big playground where you can go do whatever you want, right? I mean, a popular one is channeling. So um, you are uh, envisioning your partner as this uh, whatever deity with whom you would like to interact. And if you can make that happen, then... Um, you're having this uh, mystical union with this God and you may receive teachings or it could just be like a blessing or it could give you insight. Um, I mean, basically once you're in uh, that type of a big expanded consciousness, I mean, that's part of the idea behind a lot of this uh, 
sex magic where you have the uh, you try and have as I love Randolph says the double crisis. <laughs> but you're trying yeah, to- <laughs> yeah. Oh no! Simultaneous orgasm, right? Yes, and um, at that moment that you release that, that you're in an expanded state of consciousness. That's why lots of time, uh, lots of people, you know, if you haven't been meditating for a while or something, you'll have a little brief disconnect or a bit of amnesia right at the moment you come. And it's because that door does open up and it pops you into a really expanded state of consciousness. And when you pop back into your normal consciousness, it's so different. You can't, it's like you can't access it. It's called uh, cross-state amnesia. Um, but anyway, yeah, then the idea is that then you can, you know, you, like I say, you contact egregores, you can, I mean, basically anything that you would do in trance work, um, you could do in trance while you're having sex <laughs> yeah. with yourself or someone else. So, so is there, is there a case where people have engaged in sex magic and they have actually contacted a deity or is it more symbolic? How do I want to put this? People aren't going to be talking about this type of stuff. It's possible. I mean, if you, there's plenty of religions that, that focus very heavily. You know, Haitian voodoo is a classic one on possession. Now, there's no reason why someone who is, uh, has their body possessed by a loa could not have sex with someone else. Right. Right? So. Interesting. Yeah. Is it complicated? Then in... <laughs> Yeah, in addition to, to, I guess, positive experiences, either personally or with partners, then there's also this element of just, uh, you've talked about just kind of basic vampirism. Yeah. Of using, of absorbing the sexual energy of people around you and of people using this in, in negative ways to, I mean, is it really even, do they use it for accomplishing goals or are they just kind of like an addict or something, just feeding off people? Well, you should tell the story about the, that experience with that, uh, Rinpoche. with the, yeah, with him. Yeah. Like that, I think that's pretty pertinent. I mean, yeah. he was, that he was doing exactly what, uh, Seraphiel was saying. Exactly. Yeah. He, uh, so what happened there? Yeah. So for, thank you. Cause this is one of the, uh, the other things that got me really interested in the sexual side of the esoteric. So I was living up at this uh, center and I was in my early thirties and I was pretty cute if I say so myself. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, Rinpoche was there. There was never more than like about eight people kind of actually living at the center, but there was a larger group that would come in and out like Caucasian people and Tibetan people who, uh, had come to the Bay area, um, and we're living there. So, okay. So I've been living there for, you know, a while. And I, I found out really quickly that he had a uh, girlfriend living there. Now he was Rinpoche and Lama. The only person, he only had two people in the Tibetan Buddhist hierarchy that he had to answer to, both of whom encouraged this woman to stay with him, be his girlfriend, take care of everything and get no, uh, acknowledgement for it whatsoever. She was supposed to be getting good karma and, um, you know, all that type of stuff through helping him, although he was supposed to be celibate, right? So that was bullshit. Then I noticed that the male students would talk about, oh, Rinpoche, he has like this 
grasp of time and space that's just like beyond anything that you and I, blah, blah. So I don't know if he was showing them as doppelganger or what. But then I noticed that some of the, especially the younger single women in the group would get, they would get really uncomfortable around him at certain times. And I could tell that, you know, people talk about like their spiritual relationship to Rinpoche or something, they would get really, they would seem very ashamed and they wouldn't want to talk about it. And it was really like apparent to me that, and I was wondering what was going on. So then one night I'm asleep in my room and I'm dreaming and the dream is just my bedroom and the door opens and Rinpoche walks in and I just woke the hell up and it was like this feeling of shock and like the room was ringing and um you know it's like the most boring dream imaginable but it was like I knew that something had happened and I knew that he hadn't caught me now before then he'd actually put the moves on me my birthday came and he got me a birthday cake and had them write a happy birthday Stephanie on it in Tibetan <laughs> which she was telling me I guess it took the person like 20 minutes or something because it's like a very complicated language but um yeah so after the weird thing was after that he treated me a lot more he like cut a lot of the crap he treated me you know better than some of his long-term students when it came to certain kind of ritual activities and stuff Anyway, by this time, I'd stopped going to the uh, Sunday night meditations because I was kind of like, eh. but I was still living there. Um, and there was a, a married couple of him that were students in the South, and they'd been students of him for a long time. Um, they were pretty wealthy. So the wife, who was younger than her husband and uh, very energetic, she decided that um, they were going to sell everything that they had and take all the money and move into the center and just kind of whip it into shape, you know, really show Rinpoche off, get a lot of empowerments happening, all this stuff. Okay. So they move in and she didn't like me too much because she was figuring I was taking advantage of Rinpoche. Little did she know. So one day she says, okay, let's go shopping downtown in Berkeley. So you want to go? I said, sure. And we're looking around and, she said, Stephanie, I had this dream last night, and I just don't know what it means. So I was wondering if you may, maybe could, you know, let me know what you think. So I said, well, sure, but, I, you know. So she said, well, so I was dreaming, and I was dreaming that Rinpoche came to me, and he said, you know, you could have all this great karma and attainment and, you know, get really close to enlightenment and all, you know, all this wonderful stuff. But the deal is that you have to have sex with me and keep it a secret. Okay. So first of all, I could not even believe that she had no clue <laughs> what, what he was getting at. So I said, sorry, I said, I think it means that Rinpoche uh, is willing to set you up for all this type of spiritual benefit uh, and great everything, but you have to have sex with them and keep it a secret from everyone. She's like, no, I really, I just don't think that was what that was about. So anyway, after that, so I kind of got my answer as to what was happening with all these uh, women or many of the women in his thing who was putting out on the dream plane. And to me, one of the things that struck me about it then, I've always been very fascinated by flying saucers and abduction reports and stuff, is how many sure. of these people 
you know, get hauled up on some, you know, nightmare flying saucer and they're getting poked and prodded and tortured. And they're like, why? And they're like, you agreed to this. Yeah. And yeah. the thing is, if we're, and, that, and there's sexual elements in those cases. Too. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so to me, I saw a strong parallel there. And, you know, I don't know. One of the things, if you're thinking about any type of sexual, I just wrote a blog post on my rules for uh, sex magic with other people. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Thank you. But it also goes to any type of occult uh, group or esoteric group. If someone wants to offer you that type of deal, if they're honest about it, they will come to you in normal waking consciousness where they don't have a massive advantage over you because this is a guy who had been, you know, they took him away when he was a baby and started training him up with the monks. He escaped Tibet in 1962, and he was in, he was a young man. But yeah, so he had been, you know, like, I don't know, but what at that time, over 60 years practitioner extensively with, you know, very good teachers and a big egregore lineage to help him. So, I mean, that was one thing that struck me was how smooth he was on the dream plane with me. And then also with this, uh, with this other woman. It was very, uh, it's almost kind of insulting because there's like no charge to it. It's like, hey, yeah, blah, blah, blah. It's like, <laughs> gee, that sounds like fun. You're so excited about all this. <laughs> but, you know, but, <laughs> but the other thing is, you know, that's like a bullshit thing to do. It's like, well, it's like, you know, serial killers that pick on, you know, like Edmund Kemper. You were just talking to Jenny Ashford, and I, I love their yeah. what she did on Edmund Kemper because it's like, oh, yeah, big man, huh? Ooh, you have a gun, and you're like almost seven feet tall and huge, and oh, wow, you managed to murder a little 15-year-old ballerina girl. Ooh, look at you, you big stud. I mean, it's just bullshit. It's just yeah. like squashing a bug. Not quite that bad, but, you know? So, with the Rinpoche, mm-hmm. he was basically, like you say in the article, he was making all these women frustrated so he could feed off that sexual energy and that frustration. I believe so. Essentially. Yes, and there's a lot that they talk about in terms of group meditations in Tibetan Buddhism, which is the other, the other thing that struck me. And they talk about, you know, you have like a group meditation and you build energy through mantra and visualization and so on. And then at the peak of the, uh, or the culmination of the ritual, then you will direct that energy towards whoever's leading it, like Rinpoche Lama. And then they take that and direct it because the idea is that there are more adept at handling and directing this energy effectively and efficiently. Mm -hmm. But you can see, if you're trained up on that, how then you could just take whatever energy and just do whatever you want with it. And how is the person who's being, who's, ah, I don't want to say it, the person who's being taken from, how are they supposed to know what you're getting from it? That's the one thing I like, right. I like about uh, Montauk uh, Chia and this uh, Taoist Secrets of Love book, is that he really talks about when you're interacting with someone in this way, you want to take that energy and transform it. And then he says, you know, just give it back to your lover. He's like, that's, it's like the proper thing to do. Just balance it out with them. If you're having that type of exchange, as opposed to getting into these complicated, like dodecahedron type arrangements, 
where you have, you know, people at the bottom who are like just getting sucked dry because oops, everyone, oh, I'm directing it someplace else and just sipping it off the top here. I think there's something to be said about just giving back in the moment. Is there is there a similarity to emotional vampirism? I would think so, because you could do you could play yeah. the same thing with any type of emotion. Mm-hmm. So. Or energy vampire to that, that idea. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would think so. Um there's some interesting accounts of these type of things in Dion Fortune's Psychic Self-Defense, as well as in her uh, Secrets of Dr. Taverner. She goes into the whole idea of uh, psychic uh, vampirism, emotional vampirism. And uh, the interesting thing about that as well is the whole idea of uh, sex function, that someone can be throwing all this stuff at you but if you don't respond, it just it makes it they don't have a way in. Now, if someone is trying to uh, get you uh, to vampirize you sexually and they come at you sexually really strong and you have no idea what's happening except for, you know, you're getting this huge input of sexual energy. You may feel uh, spikes of this type of energy coming at you or feel touched or um I had an anonymous account from a person who had a very interesting experience. This, they knew this person in real life, and they, got, they were uh, abusive or harassing in real life, but then also they got inside her head, and she could hear this person's voice all the time in her head, feel their breath on her ear. And, mm. you know, if you think, if you think, you're going to be, you know, attacked or raped and you like run and, you know, you're trying to get away and you get into the police department and they're, you know, they've got you protected, but then you still feel this person touching you. They're still in your head. I mean, it's terrifying. It's horrible. But, um, and there it's not like they, but they can get that response from you and maintain that connection. And it's not, they're putting out the sexual response, but they're getting the fear response from you. Um, that can still allow them to set up that, to get a, a, a connection going. So that's why a lot of these practices, they're very strict about um, things you do to protect yourself as far as uh, moral or ethical purity and doing energy work so that you know how to clean yourself out energetically, you know how to ground yourself, you know how to discipline your mind so that you can uh, stop thinking about certain things or, you know, turn your mind towards something else that you want to think about. Also, uh, you know, they always have people, uh, like, for example, in, I think, OTO and stuff, practicing the lesser banishing ritual so you can get rid of stuff and shield yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's – but there it's interesting because it comes down to more of a sex function type of a situation. But if someone is, like, trying and trying and trying, it takes a lot of energy – to be throwing that at someone. Once you establish a connection, then it can become a lot less energy intensive. But to get that initial response, so um, that's one way to uh, avoid getting that set up. But, you know, if you have, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to speak about some of this stuff is if you have, like in my case, if I had been a type of person to freak out easily, 
and I hadn't read all these weird ass books about <laughs> strange shit, if I hadn't, <laughs> <laughs> frankly, grown up in the 1970s in the East Bay where there's a ton of serial killers and there was a ton of predators hunting little kids. I mean, I was talking with my mom today about it that at least a half a dozen times when I was growing up walking around as a little girl, grown men in their cars would try and kidnap me. God. Yeah, it's really unresolved mysteries is a podcast and they just did an episode a while back about it. And it in between like 1970 and the end of uh, the century, in the greater San Francisco Bay Area, there was something like 250 child murders. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's Eileen Mishloff and um, Amber Schwartz Garcia. And then J.C. Uh, Lee Dugard was held captive in Antioch. Yeah, yeah. The, that's not Yeah, that's not too far away. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, um, you're probably... Well, I guess I guess not. I'm a little bit before your time, but like the Zodiac Killer, I mean, that's exactly where. Not before my that, time. That was the, the, you know, that was the area. It was the area, and my uh, I remember it growing up because my, you know, we were yeah. here in the East Bay in Castro Valley, and we were in elementary school. We were young, um, but I remember how freaked out my mom, especially, was when he sent that letter about that he was gonna. Uh, Who's going to hose up the blow up, exactly school buses? Blow up the kids, yeah, and the buses, pick off yeah, the kids yeah. As they come hopping out, right? Because right, we were that age. Oh man, what a yeah, yeah. I uh, at the valley now, and so driving around a lot, you know, you see those place names like Berryessa and Vallejo, and God, what an asshole. <laughs> Well, there's definitely some def bringing it back. There's definitely some negative male energy going on there yeah. with all the serial killers. Oh. There's some weird. Well, yeah, not to. I didn't initially really want to get into this, but as far as the very extreme negative side of all of this, I mean, do you think a lot of uh, there, there's? Do you think there's organized? Uh, you know, of course, there's a lot of conspiracy theory about this kind of stuff, but do you think there's traditions of organized abuse of people, and this does that have some kind of dark spiritual sexual magic to it? I don't. I, I mean, there's obviously there's documented cases of you know child sex slave trafficking rings. The trouble is, you know, it it's hard to get decent information about these things because yeah, people want to you know politicize it and everything else. Yeah, yeah. and then and sensationalism yeah. doesn't help. And the thing that makes me mad about that and that a lot of the conspiracy people say is they get really upset and freaked and very self-righteous and all up in arms yeah. about Jeffrey Epstein, which is fine by me because I'm glad he's dead. Well, I'm, I'm not from yeah. the angle that he should have been prosecuted, but from the angle of him just being yeah. dead, that's fine with me. At the same yeah. time, you know, when I was growing up, you know, none, none of those uh, kids that were murdered were murdered by famous people. None of the kids that mm -hmm. I knew that were getting sexually abused by their parents or other caretakers were getting abused by famous people. Right. You know, it, I mean, the, the sad thing is that um, there is a strain in our culture going back quite a ways away that people can be property, that some people are more important. And if that's the case, then it's a lot easier to, you know, fuck a little kid sometime or deal with them. And I think the idea that, I mean, I understand 
the attraction of the idea of some big, all-powerful, uh, you know, conspiracy that is kidnapping kids and sexually enslaving them. And I mean, I don't, it's not like I, I think, oh, well, that person is a congressman. So of course they never do that. <laughs> but the right. thing is, the attraction of that is that, oh, we can find them and we can snap it out and then we don't have to worry about it anymore. But it's a lot more pervasive in our society. Yeah. yeah. So that's my take on it. But I think when you get, I mean, obviously, I mean, like the Chicago Rippers, I mean, that was basically a straight up, uh, you know, sexual mutilation, assault, cannibalism cult. So anyone famous either, although I've heard off and on that one of the guy that the guy who uh, headed up that group was actually uh, connected to Gacy prior to that somehow. John Wayne. Oh yeah, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. They were probably all in uh, in in the, on that stuff together. I wouldn't be surprised. But, yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about Crowley too. Oh, okay. um, his kind of views on sex, magic, and ways that because we got into this with Soraya. I know that you listened to yeah. that show, and you know there's some ways that uh, Crowley just really. I mean, he was into it heavily, but there could have been ways that he was just doing it really wrong, and really selfishly. That's that's my problem. I think why. I mean, to me, it is interesting to see someone like Randolph, and I think Sir Fyle, I think that you said uh, Randolph was interested that it should only be take place in marriage. But I've read he wasn't interested. Right, he's a little more yeah. moralistic about it. Yeah, he didn't, he wasn't, he thought it, would, it was great for people who are married because it would help to strengthen the bond between you. Well, I think he might have just said that because of the time, too. He couldn't really have explored all that stuff saying, hey, do what you want, you know, in or outside of marriage. It was easier for him to get the message across, I think, too. Well, in some of what I've read, he's, he explicitly does leaves out that uh, when he talks about, okay, if you are a man and you want to have to perform these type of magical rituals with a woman, these are her qualifications. She has to be older than 18. She can't be a virgin. She has to have uh, her own uh, orgasmic control. So yeah. he and he leaves out the marriage part, but he's also talks about you know she need she and you both need to be able to maintain a certain amount of ethical control and self discipline, and you need to be able to have this will. So and the thing that falls down for me with Crowley is you know he would just. And this is kind of terrible because it comes in some of the tantric practices as well, some strains of it, where the idea is that basically you're a guy and you're going to get this enlightenment. So that's going to help everyone. Right. So you can just like hire a prostitute and do, you know, have her do pay her to do this whole ritual and everything. And it's going to get you more worked up because, of course, you're so pure and she's so naughty. Right. And, you know, then. Mm you know, she'll get this great karma because she helped you out. Where you see someone like Randolph, he's like, no, you need to have two equal participants. Idocratic, very much of the same strain. She was a lot more uh, concerned with marriage and uh, she was really against the clitoris. Although I guess at one point the staff (laughs) and I also managed to convince her to go for it. (laughs) Why not? I can't imagine. 
they're just like so worried and then it's like 1893 or something and you're like biting <laughs> your fingernails and you have like your ghost husband and this ghost uh physician like come on let us oh, no, no really it'll be okay because they said it would provide <laughs> variety of manifestation anyway so uh She's actually very charming the way she talks about her sexual experiences. She's very high-minded, but then she'll just describe everything very graphically and plainly. And there's just, I don't know, this one, it just it's, it cracks me up. She's like really trying to hold off because Saf is telling her, if you can just kind of manage to not just like, you know, come immediately. So she's talking about they're kind of going through foreplay and she's like, oh, so I was trying really hard. And then, well, but when he entered, I, I slipped up a little bit. <laughs> But then I managed to stop the orgasm and move on. And I'm like, oh, gosh. It's just a, it's a priceless strategy. But it's, something is very charming about it. I'm trying to be very high-minded. But then it's like, well, you get caught up in these things. So what can you do? Anyway, I forgot what I was saying. Imagine that. We're, we're talking about Crowley. And, and that's, I mean, exactly what you're saying about Crowley as far as him being unethical a lot of times. You know, that's that's kind of a at the root of the previous question I asked, whereas like, is there, uh, is there a darker side of this? And do people use, uh, dark magic by, you know, did he kind of like abuse people pretty much, uh, psychologically and sexually? And did he get something out of that, that allowed him to, uh, accomplish magical workings? I wouldn't be, because the thing is, is that if you, I don't know, I really like Colin Wilson, and if you're interested in uh, kind of sex in the role uh, in in its role in some of these uh, big magicians of the 20th century and stuff, in his book The Occult, he talks about yeah, that. that's a good book. I love that book. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so he talks about in his book Poltergeist. He talks about different theories of poltergeist, and one of which is the whole idea that. Um, you have someone going through a liminal state or they could be someone who's experienced trauma or they're going through puberty or they just have a talent for it and they're putting out all this kind of psychic uh, energy, probably like etheric energy, I would guess. And as he says, you know, that can be used by the subconscious of the, uh, the focus of the poltergeist attack. But he's like, what's to say that some little, uh, you know, discarnate entity can't come along and just kind of see this football and start kicking it around for their own thing. The same thing. What if you're just putting out all this energy and you don't know what to do with it, then, um, you know, who's to say that you could, you know, some depth in you, in your sphere can't, uh, you know, see that it's there and start, you know, using it for their own purposes, which may be very different from what you think would be um, something good. So I think that. So do you think that other beings can feed off of that? I guess that's what you're saying. Like, are these actual independent entities that can feed off of i mean i guess that's the whole idea of what is it the like lover's lane monsters and things like that yeah yeah which she you stephanie does mention that you mentioned jim brandon mm-hmm. in that in, yeah in one of yeah. your articles yeah. oh gosh i forgot that i did that <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean well here and we'll get into uh another aspect of sex magic that is uh another thing that people think about a lot that comes to mind is the whole folk idea uh that 
or a woman and you want a man to become sexually obsessed with you, then you just need to slip him a little bit of your menstrual blood or your vaginal fluids. Hmm. Just like put it in his drink or something? Coffee would be best as it would. <laughs> oh. Now. There you go. Watch your coffee at work there. Oh, yeah. Men, watch it. So this gets into, you know, it's a very old idea that uh, that certain uh, bodily fluids help manifestation. That sexual. And first of all, let me say uh, it was funny. I was listening to this podcast, and this lady was talking about doing this, and her co-host was like, "I want to let everyone know that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and these activities are illegal." <laughs> Um, so there's that. I mean, if you want to, it's funny, Kat Ironwood talks about this and she says that she swears by at, at feeding guys menstrual blood, she swears by a way to bind them to you, but she says she always does it, you know, in a consensual, uh, setting, like all the lights on so people know what's happening. <laughs> in which case. Hey, I'm just going to put some of this in your drink here. Yeah. And, um... <laughs> Let so you know. Should I be worried if my coffee is a little salty? That uh, <laughs> might be something right, going on. All right, Adam, come on. Yeah. But there are these ideas about uh, female sexuality being associated with uh, physical manifestations. So um, one of my examples that I think is very charming about this is uh, there was a, a, psych, a psychic medium, Eileen Garrett, in the last century, and she was very prominent, and she, uh, I think she participated with the Rhine Research Center in uh, doing performing experiments and stuff like that. She would get, I, I don't know if she would get seances or not, don't quote me on that. Anyway, the funny thing was, her husband said, and she was known for physical manifestation, said that when, when they first got married, and they had this apartment, and they had like a fireplace with a mantelpiece and with tchotchkes on it so when they first got married mm -hmm. when she'd come the little tchotchkes would start jumping off the mantelpiece wow yeah so it's kind of <laughs> then the, the one time that they don't he's like did you fake it so <laughs> i guess that's a good way to tell i don't know i can't imagine anyway but um, and a lot of these uh, ladies who gave seances and se seance situations be became very erotic with uh, these situations. Um, it's often thought as well that uh, fluids like blood is, is supposed to be very helpful for manifestation. It's still uh, crucial in the Catholic Church during Mass, right? Um, right. The power right. Of, yeah. of Christ's blood being healed is our redemption. There's a lot of magical stuff with blood. Mm -hmm. Blood has a, a lot of, to do with a lot of this magical working well, kind of stuff. I've and noticed. I guess on a basic symbolic level, the the menstrual cycle is a signal of uh, the opposite of fertility. Yes. So you so you have uh, these other fluids that are charged with you know life giving power, mm -hmm. and then that's that's the opposite: sex and death, the same you know dichotomy. Yes. No, that is a really good point, because the other uh, angle that a lot of these esotericists work in terms of sex magic is that um, that uh, physical sex, the sex acts, wants to go a certain way, right? People want to get off. You want to get those sperm where they have a chance at that egg. So that's kind of the way yeah. things tend. So what you can do, and Crowley would do this a lot uh, using anal sex, right? So you're having the sex act. 
but the you know the possibility of fertilization is blocked off right. or impeded but you can do this on a subtle level as well right but like you're saying if you're having uh sex with a woman who's uh, menstruating um then usually that's kind of like at the opposite side of the fertility yeah. in the cycle although no one depend upon that for birth control right well and crowley thought mm -hmm. that that sodomy in particular had certain supercharged power as also, I guess, because it had so much psychological uh, transgressive energy I around it too. I'm thinking it probably, it was probably a lot more effective at the time for just generating that kind of uh, psychic energy that he wanted to utilize. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at the, uh, the subtle uh, energy structure of the body, right, then you're going to have different, uh, you know, physical structures in the body, they have the corresponding subtle structures. So if you're interacting um, in a different way, physically, you're also interacting in a different uh, way on the subtle levels. So that can have consequences too. The other thing I wanted to point out was that um, women are only fertile for a certain time period of their life. So um, if you are completely unethical and evil, you can have a sexual relationship with a uh, young girl who's not yet started menstruating or uh, another the more popular idea <laughs> is uh postmenopausal women women mm -hmm. they have the advantage of it being not unethical um and then also if you have someone who's been practicing for a long time then they would be more adept there is a great book if people love conspiracy and weird stuff if you liked a uh, name uh what's that uh Foucault's Pendulum, anything like that type of thing. Uh, Theodore Rozak wrote a book called Flicker. And it's about a young guy who's very interested in movies and avant-garde film. And he falls in love with a lady who's kind of like Pauline Kael. And he gets swept up into finding about this whole conspiracy of people who are in this like weird cult that's drawn from orphans out of the Cathar region in France. And they're Cathars. And yeah. they are using uh, film and the flicker in the film to change people's consciousness and bring them into their cult. He ends, wow. yeah, he ends up tracking this down. It is completely wild. He has always uh, been obsessed with and loved this one filmmaker, and I can't spoil the ending. Ugh. Anyway, I love that book. It's a novel. And um, at one point, he ends up finding this woman who is not of this cult, but she's, she's very adept. She's been a member of some type of esoteric society for many years, and she's like 80 or something. And um, so she's helping him, you know, try and catch or, you know, catch up these Cathars that are trying to brainwash everyone. And uh, she gives him this information and helps him and then uh, takes him on this whole like kind of hours long uh, tantric uh you know, a uh, sexual experience that <laughs> blows his mind. <laughs> <laughs> but I think sometimes, you know, it helps, you know, right. I don't know. I mean, I think that there, there's kind of the esoteric thing of it not, it can't result in pregnancy. So this, it, so the idea is that it frees up this energy. And then also the idea is that the, you could have a woman who's been practicing and become more fluent at all these various, um, yeah. energy maneuvers and no mind and all this stuff so but yeah but that scene i thought was pretty funny <laughs>
Yeah. One of the last things I was I wanted to talk about too is the um the occult symbolism of this polarity mm-hmm. and uh sex magic. So of course you have like uh especially here in America we have obelisks mm-hmm. absolutely everywhere mm-hmm. and that's obviously a phallic symbol. Obviously goes back to Egypt and the Osiris myth. And then there is all these uh more circular and ovular uh, symbolism that's on the other end of that and and what what role does this have because i know that's something that crowley played with a whole lot too yeah that is a whole huge realm of meaning and symbol and uh there are well I, let's see again I, I like this Taoist alchemy book i i've known people who are Taoist since i was you know in my 20s and I could never really kind of grasp it until reading this book but um you know it's just this the yin yang is an interesting mm-hmm. symbol because they're interwoven there's a bit of each in each and it's kind of like this whirling tornado kind of vortices right and and in the in the west we would we would think a lot about solar versus lunar it, it takes a life. It probably takes many lifetimes to really understand the ways in which these forces move in the natural world, and then also the symbols in the outer world. I have been very interested recently in um, Psyche's story. Right, she is a Greek yeah. goddess who uh, she starts being worshipped as Aphrodite, and Aphrodite is not having it and makes her life miserable, and no one will uh, ask Psyche out on a date even because they think she's like a goddess, but she's actually human. So finally Aphrodite says, look, I can't take this bitch anymore stealing my thunder, and uh, you are going to make her fall in love with like the most disgusting, vile human imaginable. So they take her up to this mountaintop where Psyche's like, my life's so fucked, whatever. Anyway... (laughs) Both their sisters are married to like, you know, uh, princes with small principalities and stuff, living a life of Riley. So she goes up to the top of this mountain. Everyone's very sad. They leave. Cupid comes over. He's like, "Uh," so he's like, sorry, (laughs) Aphrodite, but he falls in love with her himself. There's various stories about how. Anyway, so this is fascinating. She is abducted by a wind up into the sky to live in an enclosed area with this alien being who's invisible to her. Anyway, so they have this ongoing sexual relationship. They fall in love. Um, at the end of it, uh, we're exposed through her. She just gets curious. And um, she has to go through many trials and tribulations until eventually they decide the best thing to do is turn her into a goddess. And she and Cupid get to be married and have kids and all this type of stuff. So it's kind of the whole idea of stealing thunder from the gods, stealing fire from the gods, but resolving it through uh, everyone getting along, which is the force of the erotic. Um, But it really struck me that I was listening to this uh, podcast on criminal. uh, It's called a criminal. It's a podcast. And they had one recently called Off Leash, and it's about this lady named Toby Dore. Um, she was like a middle-aged lady, uh, boring marriage. Everyone was ignoring her. Uh, you know, she wasn't enjoying life, been married for like 28 years. And she ended up getting thyroid cancer. 
and um, she was just completely wiped out during the treatment. And she started thinking, what have I done with my life that's so great? I haven't done anything, and I could die at any moment. And she's just watching on the TV all the time this uh, program, Cell Dogs, which is about a prison dog program, right? We have prisoners take these rescue dogs, train them up, and then they're adopted out. So she decides, hey, you know, I'm, she has this new impetus, kind of a near-death experience. When she was feeling better, um, or an awareness of death experience, she decided to go and um, she really wanted to start a prison dog program. So it ended up that she did this. Um, you can go listen. It's fascinating. In short, she ended up meeting this, this guy, kind of picked her out, a guy who was like 21 years younger than her. <laughs> Six foot four and lean and lanky with red hair. Anyway, so they start having this flirtation, and it's fascinating to me the parallels with Psyche's story and some of the other Greek mythology. I mean, first of all, Psyche's symbol is the butterfly, and um, her thyroid cancer, thyroid is often described as a butterfly shaped gland, right? So you have this kind of symbol at the beginning telling you, oh, this person is going to be, you know, put through all these trials, they're going to have the sub-rosa relationship in uh, alternate liminal realm prison with this super young hot guy. Uh, he's like, why are you in your marriage? He's like, I want to get out of prison. She ends up breaking him out of prison and um, goes through any number of trials and tribulations when their relationship comes to light, as did Psyche. But in the end, <laughs> she ends up... Um, you know, married, and uh, it definitely worked um, this whole sex magical ritual that she went through to uh, get her out of that crappy marriage that she hated, because as soon as she got arrested, her husband divorced her. But um, yeah, I would recommend people listen to this. And the whole idea of she's going to the, the hell realm, um, she's with a dog program, the dogs are very much associated with afterlife and Hades. Um so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I don't know, but it's like, yeah, like these symbols, you can use them consciously and very abstractly in your practice. But then it fascinates me as well to see how these symbols kind of pop up in these, you know, real life situations, which means. Yeah, it's absolutely everywhere. It's, thank you, because I feel sometimes like, oh, God, you get it. You know, you see this stuff everywhere and you get obsessed with it. Am I just perverted? Exactly. <laughs> but it's how things manifest. It's just how this. Yeah, you know, things manifest in our particular universe. So, yeah, that's why. So, you did a blog post not too long ago, and to kind of just close things out, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, this a couple of days ago, you did this. My rules for oh. sex magic. So what? So what are the rules? What are the rules? Everybody wants to know. The rules. Oh, gosh. First of all, um, no one can tell you what to do, and you should use your own common sense. And no, especially in a sex magical relationship, no one is an authority, especially no one is an authority on you and what will be helpful and uplifting and powerful uh, and uh, growth enhancing for you. So this is all with that caveat that this is just my take on it. And let's see, I think I printed them off here. Okay. Oh, the first, and I got to say, I, you know, we were scheduled to uh, do this a couple weeks ago, and I ended up in the emergency room with vertigo, which luckily has resolved. So I had to cancel. 
But in between then and now, I've had some really uh, great reports from people about their various experiences. Um, everything that I've spoken about here as an example of someone that I've named or referenced, I've had basically the same reports from people anonymously. Um, but then also when I published my sex rules, I got uh, feedback from a couple of people that they had managed to accomplish some, accomplish some of the rules. My first rule is, uh, do not fuck the guru. And I heard from someone that I had been speaking with this about, uh, several months ago. And he said, ah, oh, thanks to your advice. I did not fuck the guru. So, <laughs> so good on you, sweetheart. Um, yeah. but yeah, the, what I'm concerned about is like a big power imbalance, which is going to be hard for that not to turn abusive or vampiric. I mean, at that point, you're kind of um, at the mercy of someone to behave ethically, which, you know, is very nice that you would think of them that way. But are they, I mean, it's putting a big burden on them. And, um, you know, you don't really know until you get into it. So these are, my advice, if you're going to try and pursue this type of practice, not just sex magic, but also just working magically with other people, um, if you're going to try and pursue this, um, set yourself up in a position of strength and more low risk. So you can concentrate on the work itself, which will be uh, hard enough without you know, setting up this other stuff. But I would say on the whole, it'd be better to practice with someone who's more kind of on your level. And then any time you're doing this type of work or working in any type of group, you want to always maintain strong friendships and social ties outside of the group. Anyone that wants you to start cutting yourself off, I would yeah, run the other yeah. direction really quickly. You have, to, you have to have commitment to anything, to any person or group in order to have the work blossom. But um, you really need to be able to, strength, to think about that um, very consciously and um, not set yourself up for abuse or get involved with people who are making all type of untoward demands. Um, number two, know your shit. As I was talking about before, you want to know what are your own strengths and weaknesses. You want to, at minimum, you want to have a meditation practice. You want to have a familiarity with your uh, subtle structures and, you know, have at various practices that you can do to help rejuvenate and open up those various centers. You want to know what your protection is. Now, you can have no mind, you can have relationships with other entities on different planes um, that will help you. Um, you can set up wards, you can set up, uh, you know, do, do banishing, you can set up uh, glass bubbles, um, you can do amulets, you can do mantra, you can do prayer. The, one of your biggest forms of protection is behaving ethically and not setting up time bombs for yourself by... Because <laughs> the whole point of sex magic and occult ritual is to um, amplify these processes so as these processes amplify, it tends to uh, amplify um, stray shit you have lying around that you need to take care of. So, yeah. But you want to know that so that um, you're in a position of strength and so that you attract a better partner or group to work with. Um, you know, they're not going to know everything. You're not going to know everything. That's why you're working together. But you want to have something to offer, then you're in a 
this sounds terrible. You, but you're in a better uh, bargaining position too, right? Um, so know your worth as well. I, I put it kind of uh, graphically, but it's like, I, you know, I don't care if you are just like a kind of a bl- glorified blow-up doll for someone to be having sex they should respect you for that even if that's all they want you for I, I don't know why you would but you know even at the most basic level of what you bring there this person should be respecting that you are helping them with their magical and spiritual goals if they don't you know they I mean you don't want to become you know overly needy or anything but you know that you should respect yourself and they should respect you back and oh my last <laughs> I have uh, someone else let me know that they had accomplished number four which is wait for someone smoking hot <laughs> yeah yeah I wholeheartedly agree <laughs> but I mean first of all why bother second of all like we were talking about with Crowley or some of this vampirism if you can't have um, and it's not just someone that you're attracted to sexually but that, that someone that you have a connection with on multiple levels um, and that, you know, that you feel uh, honors you and your own ethical uh, position, your own spiritual growth, what you have to bring to the relationship, right? Because I think that if you are denigrating the other person or they're kind of, mm, first of all, it would, it would be difficult to get energy, which you're trying to do, to work with in your uh, magical, work, magical workings. Um, and then also it becomes a type of a situation too, where you're looking for other things to spice things up, where if you're going to be doing this from a magical perspective, the idea ideally would be that you become more and more aware of these subtle energies and flows between the two of you and more able to discriminate about that. Um, so I think it helps you to stay interested in uh, what you're doing and it can kind of paper things over because the other thing that happens is um, you, know, you have a lot of your own shit brought to you uh, to look at right I mean it's just when I was talking with Rojan about this it's just like any other type of intimate relationship right you move in together and suddenly you're seeing you know the socks everywhere or whatever bothers you and you got to figure out how to deal with that so that you can enjoy this right. intimacy this is like times uh, 11 when you are in a you know sex magical type of relationship or a, uh, you know, like if you're meditating with, with someone in a group or something. This, it's going to amplify these processes. And so if you have a real connection with the person, I mean, it doesn't have to be your soulmate or whatever, but that you have like a respectful, intimate, friendly, caring connection with this person and also they're pretty hot too this is this can help paper over a lot of things um there was a guy named mishka shibali me in paranormal you with ryan singer and he talks about a very interesting um experience he had with a woman and they're not soulmates they're not boyfriend and girlfriend but just like a very good friend that he was attracted to and they had sex with and he just felt this intense connection with her from the beginning and then at one point, it's interesting because he talks about they'd had sex, I think the first time, and he said that he um, wanted, he felt really good about it. He wanted her to know that he cared about how she felt, and he wanted her to feel good about it, too. And 
so he says he kind of sent out a tentacle of like consciousness to kind of check in with her and she responded to that so it set up this connection and it's funny how this kind of thing just happens kind of can happen kind of spontaneously between people if there's the right chemistry or if you've been meditating this will happen too but later on they're just as he says having plain vanilla missionary sex and he has this like intense mystical experience of the goddess as he watches her uh, shape different women and he's feeling his experience like oh now she's my mother now she's my sister now she's you know old now she's young and uh, yeah so i would say that it's all the feminine aspects exactly oh, it's the complete goddess oh, yeah. types initiation right. and that's the wonderful thing yeah. about this type of uh, experience is that you if you can create the connection and then spontaneously you can have this initiation you don't have to rely on a tradition you don't have to have some old goat. <laughs> Sorry, this is terrible from my own perspective. You don't have to have some old goat that you would never fuck normally. It comes, oh, I can show you this and that and blah, blah, blah. No, you don't have to do that. You can cultivate your own uh, abilities and uh, wait. And then when you meet the right person, it, it can unfold spontaneously. So it's really kind of an amazing um Aspect of I guess because there's there's so much power around sex, it can really cut through and it can be like a rapid method mm -hmm. to these different kinds of enlightenments or experiences. Yes, yes, I, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, even just looking at from the level of DNA, that's the whole point of sex. You have two different entities come together, they shake something up and you get all this new amazing stuff that never existed before. Infinite variation. So, yeah. Well, this has been a great discussion. It really has. Well, thank you, guys. It this, really I mean, has. It's, yeah, it's really nice. We might have to put a little parental advisory at the beginning, though. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we've ever been so... Uh... Yeah, we, we might do that. We might do that. Cause, well, I mean, you know, the thing is, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say, yeah, it's explicit, but we're just, we're also having a mature adult yeah, discussion about this. Up. You know, this, I mean, this is not... You know, so uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll just say don't play it with the kids in the car. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll do that, but it's it's um you know it, it's, it's it's all matter of fact. Well, it's I don't know. To me, there's a lot. There's so much porn all over the place all the time nowadays. Right. So, yeah. Many different kinds. Yeah. yeah, and which is you know whatever. Um, but to me, it just misses a lot of the point of the sex function i mean it can get you all hot and bothered but it's but then what happens when you're with a, a live person and you're not in front of the camera <laughs> i guess you know there's a yeah. lot more to yeah. it that doesn't get discussed as much so i really appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk about it with you guys yeah we got we got really in depth too i don't i don't think there's anything that i didn't want to cover oh, miss well, since you mentioned it, I want to ask you this: mm -hmm. um, Is there any kind of ritual, when, when, like when like when like porn is made? Is there any kind of ritual involved? Do you think there? Uh, I don't. I don't. I mean, I, really, I avoid porn like as much as possible. I'm like a very sensitive, kind of fragile person, and it's just horrifying to see. I mean, all I can think about is when you wax your legs and you get an ingrown hair. Now that's bad, like on your calf, <laughs> but it's just, I mean, I understand why it is the way it is, but to me, it's just like, 
to me, sex is a very interior experience. And yeah. so that doesn't really do it for me. So I, I don't well, know. I'm just thinking about like the production of it, Ugh. whether there's like actual ritual going on when they're making these things. I don't, I think a ritual of a ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't know. It's, it's, that's, that's something I've, I've wondered about. The people I've known um, that have been in the sex industry and that have been involved in making porn, it, it's very much about what is going to end up on the screen. So they're not caring about how you feel. There's nothing about yeah. these subtle energies moving around everything. It's just like, okay, look, you know, we have to put makeup on your outer labia here because you have, you know, a little doodad and here's a ton of lube and then we're shining this 800 kilowatt light on your ass arch your back this particular way, who cares how it feels to you? You know what I mean? So right, I don't right. think in those type of circumstances, I mean, I could see maybe someone could have like an out-of-body experience because, <laughs> because of how horrible it is. <laughs> but it depends. If you're like a real hardcore exhibitionist, this would be so – I I don't know. I've never heard of anything, any rituals about that, but I – Maybe you'll you'll get some uh, information about that. It'd be fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I've just heard little things here uh-huh. and there. Some of it's probably from more sensationalistic uh-huh. sites, that just to say that, like, well, they do some kind of ritual before each shoot or something mm-hmm. like that. I've I've heard stuff like that, but who knows how true any of that stuff is? Yeah, yeah, I you know. Uh-huh. So, Stephanie, this has been very enlightening. I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, can you tell people where they can find your writings and uh, your web presence? So I have a blog and I did a bunch of show prep and I'm probably just going to kind of throw it up there. Some things that I didn't talk about, some other stuff, just kind of raw. Um, once the show goes live, but uh, it's ghost dog is a mystery box and it's a WordPress site. Um, stephaniequick.wordpress.com I think is the URL. I'm on Twitter at wandering britches. I'm on Facebook. Um, so yeah, you can just put that information there, but the ghost dog is a mystery box is my blog where I talk about uh, this. And I'm also very interested in synchronicities. I think Adam, now you met Steve Ray at Paramania, right? I did meet Steve yeah, Ray. Yeah, yes. We did that synchronicity experiment together, uh, many years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We did that one on Greg. Okay. <laughs> interesting okay yeah so um yeah so i have uh, different stuff there and um my uh email address there is there as well so if anyone wants to contact me that way okay well excellent i think we're cool. going to close out this section of the show Ooh, thanks so uh, thank you so yeah. much i really had a great time thank you yeah we'll stay on the line for okay. us and uh guys we will be back to close out the show on conspiracy normal If you want your HR team to hire top talent for your company, tell them about ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invites them to apply to your company's job posts so you get qualified candidates fast. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Conspiranormal. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Conspiranormal. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Rolling. 
That was an amazing orgasmic experience. That was an adventure, is what that was. So, thoughts? You you were very engaged on this one? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is just exactly what... Uh, what well, we wanted uh, to, you know, go really in depth, and uh, I think we've done enough sex magic uh, shows for the year. <laughs> well, technically, we've we have this was the show that devoted solely to sex right, magic. Right. We've we've touched on it, but it's been in a, other areas before. So this is not just yeah, but it's been a recurring theme for the past little while. Yeah, yeah. I, I think everybody would get their fill of sex magic on on on, on this show, but uh, Stephanie's very knowledgeable. Yeah, that was amazing. And she had a lot of cool things to say. Um, I was really happy that she she came on the show after the, the rebuttal video. So, um, yeah, we, we covered a lot, a lot of ground. And I uh, got to talk a little bit about P.B. Randolph mm-hmm. that you, you've mm-hmm. been kind of getting into studying. There's a book she mentions about P.D. Randolph. I had to pull up her... Um, well, I think Is that's, it the that's T. The T. Main Allen one. Greenfield. I'm not sure. Is that that's, uh, that's the main one? I really need to get it on interlibrary loan. I keep forgetting to. Right. Yeah. P.B. Randolph. Yeah. So the quote is: "The objective moment, therefore, is the most divine and tremendously important one in the human career as an independent entity." For not only may we launch genius, power, beauty, deformity, crime, idiocy, shame, or glory on the world's great sea of life in the person of the children we may then produce, but we may plunge our own souls neck deep in hell's horrid slime or else mount the azure as co-equal associate gods. For then the mystic soul swings wide its golden gates, opens its portals to the whole vast universe, and through them come trooping either angels of light or the grisly presence from the dark corners of the spaces therefore human copulation is either assentive and ennobling or dissensive and degrading that's pd randolph quoted in pascal beverly randolph sexual magic in the 19th century by t ellen greenfield yep. maybe that uh, t ellen greenfield keeps coming up a lot uh ren's very familiar with him and has been corresponding with him i think he's hey guy outside of atlanta we may he's also the guy that did that cipher of the ufo knots oh cool we that we've talked him. about so we gotta, we gotta get him on. yeah we gotta get him on at some point um preferably after the conference speaking of which hey. you didn't think you were going to get off that easy did you strange realities conference 2019 guys we need your pre-sales we are selling tickets and you don't want to miss out, guys, because we have a limited amount of space. And even if we don't sell out, it's still a good discount. You're going to get $10 off than you would have gotten at the door because it's 30 bucks at the 30 bucks pre-sale, 40 bucks at the door. So we really want to see you guys there. And for everyone who's already confirmed and got tickets, we really look forward to meeting you. Yes. We've got some great friends coming in from all over the country. Yeah. That'll yeah. be amazing. Yeah, it's going to be it's a it's going to be a really good time and uh we're really hoping that uh, anybody that is here in Nashville that listens to our show. We know there's some people here that listen to our show in our hometown. Guys come out. We are going to be at SIR Nashville. That is on 1101 Cherry Avenue here in this town. So come out. Come enjoy the speakers, Tim Banal, Joshua Cutchin, Joe Damari, Guy Malone, Timothy Renner, Mark Anthony Wyatt, and Zach Hunt, and myself are going to be speaking there, and a live recording of the podcast. So guys, please. In and bands then there's at music night. at night. 
Yep. And it's BYOB. Yep, BYOB. There's a refrigerator in the room. Hey. So, you know, the, the, you cannot get much better than that, guys. So there's going to be... We're also going to have some people selling the books, too, um, that are either going to be part of the conference and not part of the conference. So is an opportunity to come and speak to people that uh, you would not normally get an opportunity to speak to. So come join us. StrangerAlitiesConference.com 2019, yes. As Serfiel said. Patreon is still in effect, guys. Notice we've gotten a few people that have subscribed to us on Patreon. Yes, thank you. Um, $1 subscriptions are fine. That's all we require. So we've got to, we do, we should have, by the time you guys hear this, there was that interview, small Patreon segment we did with Tom and Jenny from the 13 o'clock podcast that is up. And for new people that are, that are getting on there, you've got like about 30 separate episodes of conspiracy normal dating back for the lot since the end of 2016. Those are all on there. So please, you know. And if you don't feel like you don't feel like recurring, you can go to the website and donate. I'm going to be changing some things up on that, among the, all the other myriad things that are going on. Try to get that changed up pretty soon. <laughs> so, okay, YouTube channel. Don't forget, Conspiranormal Podcast. Give us a subscription there. Instagram, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We are there. We are available. If you follow us, Talk we will us. follow you. That's right. Okay. Well, enough for that. Guys, we hope to see you soon, and we'll be back next week for another episode of Conspiranormal. to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry-free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.